We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It will expand the National Basketball Association by four. The first two teams will be Charlotte, North Carolina, and Miami. You are listening to Buzz Beat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, guys, welcome into episode 80 of Buzz Beat. We are back after a two-week break uh, for Thanksgiving. In our absence, I wish we almost did a podcast last week because Kimba dropped 103 points uh, in a two-game span. I was actually at one of those games against the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, heartbreaking loss with a last-second shot by Jimmy Butler. Uh, we've had multiple games that we've missed over this two-game or this two-week span, in which the Hornets have just unsurprisingly struggled in the clutch. Uh, we're going to recap a couple of games this week, uh, both games against the Hawks, the embarrassing loss that we had against them on Sunday at State Farm Arena, and then in the middle of that, there was Wednesday's victory in Charlotte over the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, excuse me, that was on Monday. So, but before we jump in, uh, let's check in with Brian Geisinger. Uh, Spencer actually is moving this week, so I'm sure he is completely uh, occupied with that right now. But Brian, Brian, how was your your Thanksgiving last week? Well, it was good, and, and thank you for asking, Richie. I really appreciate that. Um, and first off, a welcome back to the state of North Carolina for Mr. Spencer Percy, too. Right? He That's is right. a once again, a denizen of, of the Tar Heel State here in North Carolina, uh, which is exciting. He's very close to your neck of the woods down there. So mm-hmm. so that that is cool. And when I'm in the area, I'll have to come. We'll have to all hang out for the first time ever, maybe get a beer or something like that, uh, hang out in person, that is. But no, Thanksgiving was good. Uh, it's been a little hectic. Like during basketball season, I sort of like to have a routine of watching the ACC, covering Duke State games watching all the Hornets games and then obviously paying attention to the national NBA scene too. And the weekend prior to Thanksgiving, I was in Nashville for a wedding, which was a great time. But that going from that right into Thanksgiving just had me all out of rhythm. I'm, a, I'm watching you know DVR and games on my mom's <laughs> TV back in Winston-Salem, which I love you, mom. Thank you for that. It was effective, but just not like my normal sort of like basketball consuming habits um so it does it oddly feels good to be back sort of like in a routine and this week basically since I got back Sunday night 
um, and started watching the the Hornets Hawks game on tape, I've been sort of in a uh, just immersing myself fully once again into hoops, which has been nice. Yeah, the problem with watching games on DVR, it feels like they kind of, I mean, they already do bleed together, but when you watch it on DVR, you have yeah. like no concept of when they actually totally. took place. Yeah. Um, quick question before we begin. If you had to choose your favorite Thanksgiving dish, what would it be? Is it the turkey or is it something else? So it's, this is actually an easy one for me. It's, I guess, dressing or stuffing yep. depends on like how you want to, like, it depends on where you're from or yep. I guess how you prepare it or whatever, with how you want to define it. But no, I'm going to go, my mom makes really good stuffing. I actually helped her this year, chopped up a bunch of the uh, vegetables and the apple for it. Um, so that's my favorite. That's number one on my big board of <laughs> Thanksgiving power rankings. Mashed potatoes are a strong second. And then um, honestly, after that, like, you know, like th- turkey's probably third. But um, but I think it's pr- like it's it, there's a gap. The gap between two and three is yeah. bigger than one and two. Right, right. It's like, it's like the Hornets team. You know what I mean? There's a big gap. Yeah, right, right. No, I mean, Kemba, Kemba is the dressing, I guess. Jeremy Lamb is the mashed potatoes, at least at the least for the for this day he is. And Cody Zeller is um, the turkey. Yeah, and Frank is the Frank is the cranberry sauce too. He's like, <laughs> like it's like, uh, can we just like just renounce its rights? We don't need we don't need cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving next year. Uh, apologies to fans of Frank Kaminsky or cranberry sauce, but. Um, I'm fine without either of them. No, so. I, w- I would totally agree. I didn't like it as a kid, but stuffing, dressing, whatever you want to call it, is definitely yeah. my favorite uh, Thanksgiving yeah. dish. All right, yeah, let's hop so right. Yep, let's hop right into the games. I'm just going to recap with just a little bit of a rundown of while we were gone. We're just going to recap the three most recent games. There's no point in going back to the uh, the 60 point game against the Sixers, even though it would be awesome to talk about Kimba. Anyway, so while we we're gone over the two week break. Hornets have lost to the Sixers, Thunder, and Hawks, and then have picked up wins over the struggling Celtics, the Pacers, the Bucks, and then we got revenge on the Hawks on Wednesday. So currently, Charlotte has a record of 11 and 10. So let's jump in right uh, to the Sunday ga- game, uh, the loss at Atlanta. So the Hornets lost 123 124 to the Hawks. At one point in this game, the team. Had a 13-point lead, but the Hawks outscored Charlotte by 12 in the final three quarters. Um, the leading score for Charlotte was Malik Monk with 26 points, and Marvin Williams also contributed uh, with 20 points and 13 rebounds, which I, I was kind of surprised when I saw mm-hmm. that in the box score. But So just kind of talking about the positives here, Brian, and we'll kind of transition maybe to the negatives later on. I thought, I mean, there wasn't a lot of positives because this is not a team that you should be losing to. Um mm-hmm. You know, there was both teams were coming in. I think on a one game's rest, so there was no disadvantage in, in our area. Uh, but the one, the one positive I thought was was Malik Monk's play. Um, he was coming off a game. I, get, I believe it was it's the Thunder where he uh, sat out. You know, DNPCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and for you, for a player to come in the next game after not suiting up. Um, I know that Monk has this high confidence, but still, I, I feel like that would shake your confidence a little bit. But he comes out, uh, puts up a great performance, shoots 60% from the field and 63% from deep. Uh, but the one thing that I noticed in this game about his play is not necessarily the points that he put up, but it's the way that he scored. Uh, if you look at you know the points that he scored, I just kind of went back through all of them uh, through the uh, NBA.com and kind of look at their field goals. A lot of them, if not all of them, were catch and shoots, and that's kind mm-hmm. of that's what we want out of his game because we've talked about this in the past where he dribbles a little bit too much, 
uh, and settles for a pull-up shot where it typically doesn't go in. So uh, mm-hmm. I think Malik Monk's play was probably the top positive that I can point to uh, in this kind of embarrassing loss to the Hawks. What are your thoughts on any kind of positives to take from this game? Yeah, a uh, couple. I mean, I'll just piggyback off you with uh, Malik Monk, but ties a career high with 26 points. That's always good. Hit seven three-pointers, all of which, like you said, all, all conf- I can confirm that they were all off the catch. Um, I mean, look, that's that's sort of what I've always thought this guy's best skill is. And I know he's got he has plenty of abilities offensively. But if you were to if you were to pick highlight his best thing, you know, Cody's best skill is screen setting Kemba's pull up shooting Malik shooting off the catch. And, um, you know, he got it. he's a microwave scorer, as Spencer likes to call him. And, and he got hot in this game. Um, Hornets, he this is I also thought this was a little promising, too. Um in eight minutes that Monk played with Kemba, Marvin, and Cody Zeller, uh, they go they go plus eight, four of eight shooting, or pardon me, plus five in eight minutes, four of eight on threes, 53% effective shooting, close to 1.2 points per possession in eight minutes with those guys. So I thought that was good. Uh, Malik playing with Kemba and the, the starting front court of, of Marvin and Cody was good. And speaking of Marvin, this was sort of a game that kind of got him going. I mean, we've talked we talked plenty about Marvin struggles this year, and I think even on the last episode, we fielded a question on, hey, should we move Marvin to the bench, or should, pardon me, should the Hornets move Marvin to the bench, whatever, and I thought this game, like, you know, I thought he was going to, he wasn't going to shoot under 30% on wide open catch and shoot threes all season, he just wasn't going to, um, last three games for Marvin Williams, 8 of 17 on catch and shoot threes, uh, 6 of 13 on three-point attempts from above the break, um, and five of nine on, on wide open catch and shoot through, or pardon me, five of nine on three point attempts, uh, the last three games and that started with the loss that the Hornets had in Atlanta. Um, also it's quick other, I guess, you know, other side note too. I thought Trey Young was really impressive in this game for Atlanta. I know he didn't have an amazing shooting performance. Uh, he was just six, 18 from the field, four, 10 on threes, only five assisted five turnovers, but he threw a couple just wicked passes. Um, in this game, um, not much of a defender yet, but yeah, I would say those were, if I were to sort of like, you know, pick the, the sort of the most obvious positives because Kemba really didn't have it going. Um, you know, Kemba 05 at the rim, 04 in the paint, non-restricted area. He did hit four of nine from above the break threes, but you know, this was a, a high usage game for Kemba, 23 shots, just 22 points. Like that's not the efficiency that we're, uh, we're used to. So, um, but yeah, I would say, so anyways, I, I think the biggest positives were, uh, Marvin and, and Malik, especially with their three point shooting in this game, the Hornets got up 45 threes. Like that's a lot. Um, they made 18, which is a good number. They took, they took 28 free throws. I mean, this like was a good offensive game for the most part. It's just the defense, especially on that, you know, in the crunch time, trying to guard Bazemore with no MKG, and uh, that came, came back to bite him. Yeah, and I, I was never someone that wanted to bench Marvin because I, I always felt like, well, first off, like we said, he was never just strictly in there for his shooting. Uh, there right. was a lot of other things that he provided on both ends of the court, but, uh, you know, we we kind of figured that his number would jump back up. We don't ever think it's going to maybe, maybe be where it was last season, but, right. uh, yeah. you know, the last several games, he's been definitely hitting them. In the yeah. in, in from deep, so I, I guess a couple of negatives to talk about. You kind of touched upon it, um, just crunch time play in general. But you know, Atlanta's Atlanta's three point offense. You know, they their profile is very much of a modern day NBA team. They 
mm-hmm. I, I feel like they're top five in both getting to the rim and mm-hmm. uh, frequency from behind the arc. But yeah. one thing that they've struggled with this year is actually shooting well from deep. But they shot um, a great a great clip against us, 41% from deep, well above their average. And mm-hmm. I don't know if this is like an anomaly or if it's a combination of poor defensive play or just kind of a combination of both. But um, I feel like the Hornets, you know, the past several seasons, I don't know what you would attribute to. I have an idea. Why Why do you think that the like these teams just come out and shoot so well against us from behind the arc when Atlanta doesn't shoot this well um, in general when it comes to this season? My personal thought is, and maybe this isn't the correct way to think about it, but I just think mm-hmm. that our our on-ball defense sometimes isn't the greatest, so mm-hmm. they're able to get into the lane, and then then we're having to scramble, and we're all we're a team, especially last year, that likes to overhelp, so we're always trailing and yeah. and scrambling and trying to find uh, where the ball is. So I, that's kind of what I attribute it to. I don't know if it's some kind of anomaly uh, with the, with Atlanta's three point offense, or is there something that you can actually point to? Yeah, and just real quickly too, yeah, Atlanta, this was an avalanche at the rim for them. Atlanta goes 26 of 35 shooting inside the restricted area in this game. That's 74%. The Hornets were just 9 of 21, 43%. Not good. Uh, Trey Young, John Collins' pick and roll was actually really was really good for the Hawks in this game. And the first two games against the Hawks this season, Atlanta was 71 field goal attempts at the rim which is, again, that's a ton in the Hawks. They're the, they are, they're, I mean, they're emphasizing it this year in Atlanta with Lloyd Pierce and Trey Young, uh, all the, the, the new regime there. But that was way down in the game, the Wednesday night win for Charlotte. We can talk more about that in a few minutes here. Um, as far as three-point defense goes, I mean, if we're going to track back a couple of years, I would say part of it has been, that, like some of it is health-related. Guys have been hurt. You know, Cody Zeller's been out. And when that happens, the defense is less good. Um, and I would also say, too, the Hornets are switching more this year, but they're not like a switch, switch, switch happy team. You know what I mean? And in years past, they were that the, they they really went, never really relied on that mode of defense at all. And that's sort of like the best way, right? Of like stopping three. It's one of the better ways to like stop three point shooters. You know, I mean, you. you you can you can help and recover and and close out like maniacs and run dudes off the line and stuff, but I mean you know teams like the Rockets and the Warriors like especially Houston why they were so dead set on becoming a switch crazy team last season especially was so they could stop Curry like that whole defense was geared towards stopping him and Clay Thompson and that's why they were cool with having Clint Capella switch out and hey even if Curry crosses you up and and gets a finger roll or whatever, like we'll live with that than him, you know, hitting 50% of his threes and, you know, Oracle catching fire and stuff like that. Um, so I would say that's part of it too. And then just like the lack of, you know, look, MKG is a very good perimeter defender and and they've had, and, you know, last year they had Carter Williams, good perimeter defender, but um, you know, those guys don't play the whole game and you're playing a lot of Nick Batum who is, is not a great defender and is awful on closeouts and Kemba tries, but he's, you know, he's, He's at best, he's you know, uh, you know, a, an, uh, like a break-even defender, maybe not a minus defender, but sort of break-even. He's just small, um, and they've also been playing guys like Frank Kaminsky at the four. Like you know, like you're just you're just going to leave open spaces out there when you're doing some of that sort of stuff. So, anyways, I think you know, the, I think the personnel is a is a little bit better this year, I, I guess, but because they're switching more and Cody's been healthy. Knock on wood. But you're still getting a lot of Kemba, a lot of Jeremy Lamb, a lot of Nick Batum, 
Um, you know, Marv, or Miles Bridges, the best athlete on this team, but he struggles in space. He loses his guy. So just really like a lack of plus wing defenders would probably be the, like this sort of like baseline, most generic response yeah. I would have to I, that. I think, I feel like that's kind of what I narrow it down to, too. Yeah. I'm just kind yeah. of focusing on the perimeter defense because that, that leads to us scrambling a lot. Uh, we're going to transition to the Bucks game, but just the, um, unless you have any final thoughts on this Hawks game, I will say kind of to piggyback on your idea about the, uh, the crunch time defense, but the crunch time offense was also poor. Um, mm. Again, it, it's an over-reliance on Kemba. I don't know if it's like, you know, a Kimba thing where like he wants to take the last shot or Borrego just says, okay, everyone clear out, let Kimba go after it. Um, there's it's catch 22 because Kimba is our best option, but you also want to get the defense moving as well. Uh, there was a time, you know, as poorly as we played, we had a chance to win this game. There was a step back uh, shot with uh, Kimba over Collins with 47 seconds left mm-hmm. to give the Hornets the lead. I think they got a stop on the next possession. Uh, they had the lead. They had an opportunity to make the lead a little bit bigger but there was a mess of a possession on the uh, the fu- next possession for the Hornets that ended in a shot clock violation uh, mm-hmm. where, where there was no shot that got up. Um, and then the last play of the game, clear-out situation, like we see so often where people just spread out. Kimba takes it one-on-one, uh, five seconds left. I know there wasn't a lot of time to get something done, but five seconds mm-hmm. is, is longer than you, than you would think. But it was funny, when I watched that last-second shot, obviously it was a clear-out situation, but... Herder left Batum to double Kimba with three seconds left. Like it's not mm-hmm. like one of those things where he left him with one second left, knowing that he yeah. would, he didn't have to get back to Batum in time. He left with three seconds left, uh, trying to stop that double. And, and Kimba complained for a foul, missed it, got blocked, whatever you want to call it, and uh, we lost to the Hawks. Any final thoughts on crunch time offense or anything else for this game? Yeah, just real quickly, like the. They they probably missed Tony Parker in, in the clutch minutes in this game. Uh, this was the last game before he came back. I believe Devontae Graham took soaked up most of the, the backup point guard minutes. Kim actually shot all right in in, in clutch minutes. Uh, three of six shooting. Uh, Hornets actually hit two threes. I actually thought the bigger issue was just like it was just defense or so the fact that they were even in that place the position to begin with. Like what are you doing messing around with the uh, the Hawks? And just look, Kemba has been having issues at the rim. I mean, he hasn't shot great at the rim all season. He's probably a little under 50% there now. But last three games for Kemba in the restricted area, 4 of 18, 22%, uh, with seven of those shots being blocked, too. So, um, yeah, it's not not great. But anyways, they, uh, you know, the Hornets, they managed to put this loss behind them pretty quickly because on the second night of a back-to-back, guess who's coming in town? The, the last person you want to have come to town, that is Giannis, the Greek freak, the Milwaukee Bucks, their flame-throwing offense. Chris Middleton, another all-star. Mark, Mike Boonholz are drawing up all kinds of crazy plays. Malcolm Brogdon's going crazy. He hit the game winner against uh, San Antonio back on Saturday. So you've got a rest disadvantage yep. against one of the hottest basketball teams in the world. And, Richie, what happened Monday night in Uptown? Man, I, I, I'm surprised that we came away with that close win. Like you said, we were on a rest disadvantage on a back-to-back Monday night. Uh, but the the Hornets did bounce back. They won 110-107. Yeah. Uh, they had a slow first quarter. Uh, the Bucks came out strong. I feel like they always do that against us. They have these strong first quarters where it feels like we're in this hole. Uh, but we didn't give up. We kind of plugged away. Uh, Jeremy Lamb led the way for the Hornets with 21 points and 8 rebounds. Kimba also pitched in 21 points. But uh, if you look at the, you know, the efficiency stats, weren't that great. So... 
First quarter for the Bucks. like I said, it feels like a broken record with this team. Uh, they have a very similar profile to the Hawks in terms of taking a lot of threes, taking a lot of shots at the rim. Giannis is, is the biggest um, player in that situation, getting to the rim. And then you surround him with shooters. Uh, it makes it very difficult to defend. And in this game, the Bucks took 89% of their field goal attempts from either behind the arc or at the rim. Um, yeah. Very difficult to defend. Uh, and in the first quarter, the Bucks shot 8 of 11 from deep. Um, it's, it's very difficult to defend when Giannis is getting inside the paint and you're forced to help off. And, I, and I've said this time and time again. I know it might not be the best strategy, but this is the strategy that I feel like has to happen with Giannis. You have to play him straight up. Marvin has to play mm. him straight up. MKG, when he's in there at times, I know that he doesn't always kind of matched up with Giannis. He's got to play him straight up and, and, and trust that he can defend Giannis to the best of his abilities. I would let Giannis get what he can get and not let Brooke Lopez and all these other players go off mm. around him. So I will say that one thing that I noticed, hot first quarter for the Bucks, but in the second quarter, um, I noticed a little bit more switching, uh, a little mm. bit more frequently. I think that reduces the time that you have to chase and scramble. And I think as a result, I mean, it might not be a direct correlation one-to-one here, but I thought the defense played better from the second quarter on. And uh, mm-hmm. the difficulties in defending the three kind of went down after that point. Um, any initial thoughts about this Bucks game on Monday night? They're just, with Giannis, they're just so overwhelming at times. And that that sort of strategy, that sort of like, uh, not strategy, but that it's a trend for them, not just against the Hornets, but against a lot. I've seen this. I've watched them play probably more than outside of the Hornets. Maybe I've watched the Bucks more than any other team in this league. Like they're can't kind of can't take your eyes off Milwaukee and Giannis. They're just that much fun. Um, but like they come, they come out just breathing fire every game. And I just think it's sort of like natural to after you get out 15 in the first couple of minutes and you hit 80% of your threes, you're like, Oh, this is about to be a cakewalk. We're going to hang 150 on them. No big deal. Um, and I mean, Charlotte fought back the fact that this was a, the fact that this was a three point game at the end of one quarter when Milwaukee comes out and makes their, makes eight of their first 10 three pointers, literally the first eight minutes of the game, Brooke Lopez plays Milwaukee scored 1.94 points per possession. That's almost perfect basketball (laughs) for the the quarter. They scored 1.45 points per possession, 1.46 points per possession, which is also like light your hair on fire and jump out of a window like it's so bad but you know look this the second unit came in they 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 brought a little bit of life and that second quarter like outscoring Milwaukee 33 to 17 that's one of the best that's like one of the best 12 minute stretches the Hornets have had all season and uh, I mean they really kept it going early into the third quarter too and then I mean this what this was a 25 point game at one point in time for the Hornets and for me, what I'm thinking, yeah, 25. That was the biggest lead. Milwaukee's biggest lead was 14. Um, and I'm, I was actually watching this game on Monday with uh, with one the buddy and a colleague of ours, Hayes Permar, and we're laughing because we're like, dude, if they get this game to 30, like if Charlotte gets up 30 in the third quarter, like Bud's got it. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna like just exhaust Giannis trying to come back from down 30. You know what I mean? With 14, 15 minutes left or whatever. Um, and it got knocked down to 20 instead, and then it got knocked down to 15, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, here here comes the bad guy chasing you down from behind. <laughs> from behind. And uh, Charlotte did sort of just enough to hang on. Um, I thought a couple of really nice highlight plays for Miles Bridges in this game. He had two really, really, really nice blocks 
um, including one on Giannis. I think the other was on um, the other was was on Malcolm Brogdon. I thought Charlotte did a really good job, especially in the first half when Milwaukee went to Giannis at the five. I mean, that's a lineup that should just kill everybody. And like all of those threes that Milwaukee was getting earlier in the game, they were with him just caving in Charlotte's defense. Just like he was forcing, I mean, he was forcing help either with the ball, like posting up, or he slit, he would slip or or have a rim run, and that would cause someone from the weak side would have to tag down. Boom, you know, someone else is open for a corner catch and shoot three on the other side of the court with one, you know, one skip pass. And uh, I thought Charlotte did a really, really good job at, you know, when handling those minutes with him at the five, because some of those minutes came with Frank Kaminsky at the five, too. And that sounds like a bad proposition. Uh, by the way, welcome back to the rotation, at least for the time being, Frank Kaminsky. Dude, he, we, he went from the 15th man to uh, like the seventh man. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. I mean, because like, you know, uh, Erdin Gomez yep. is, you know, his ankle, his ankle was bothering him. So he missed a couple games. And I, you know, I guess Frank has played well enough in the eyes of the coaching staff. And hey, man, good for him. Seriously, I, um, I will say I, I've been, I mean, somewhat impressed with this play. I, I can't, I can't knock it. I can't no, knock no, it. No, totally. He's been, he's been totally fine. I, I do think we've talked about this with him plenty of times before. Like him playing center, like it's always, it was always the move for him. Like it, defense was always going to be like no matter where this guy plays, if he's on the court, your defense is going to have issues. And like. He has looked. He has. He has predictably looked soft and slow on that end, which he always will. But he can shoot. He can pass. Like he can. He can breathe a little life into an offense in the half court when he when he's just standing out there. And you know, if he's gonna, he's last three games four eight on catch and shoot threes. Um, he's been okay, and it, it it sort of does make me think that you're like, okay, this guy I think has shown enough, honestly, in the last week or so that I think if. Ernan Gomez usurped him and took his took the role back as the second string center. Like, I think at this point now there's like enough good for Frank that he'll like, even if he's not in Charlotte next season. <laughs> I think I think someone else has seen enough. Do you know what I mean? To at right. least sort of like take a chance on him. Um, again, the move for him was always to play to to play the five. I mean, it's this is like a, a much smaller version of what we've seen with with Michael Kidd Gilchrist, which was that like these guys have been moved to positions where. And they're they're playing at them full time now, where they are just much better suited yep. to to use their skills. Um, and again, give 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 Frank credit for staying locked in on that. He totally could have bailed, like he yeah. totally could have bailed on this season. And I, I honestly wouldn't have even blamed him for it. And um, and, and give credit to the coaching staff for for work, you know, for at least giving him a shot there too. Um, but yes, yeah, so anyways, I'm trying to think if there were any other quick thoughts I yeah. had about. Milwaukee game. I also just thought too late when they were coming back. Tony Parker. It, it felt like well, just real quickly the on the Bucks. It felt like they could have posted up Giannis on every single play. Serious, like I, like when they were coming back, and, and there were there were a couple possessions where it was like Bledsoe would dribble for eight seconds, Giannis wouldn't touch the ball, and then he would Bledsoe would shoot it. And look, Eric Bledsoe's having an amazing yeah, season. Yeah, he's, he's impressed me. It, it, it happens to be a contract year. I. Doubt that's a coincidence, but, <laughs> but you never know. Um, but like on those possessions, I mean, that's free money for the Hornets. Possessions where the Bucks are behind in a comeback mode, and Giannis doesn't touch the ball. Like that is that is a that is a stop already, you know. Um, but it just felt like every possession with that team when they're playing him at the five, or even when he's at the four, because Lopez can 
shoot 30 foot threes now too. Like it feels like you should be able to post him every play. And then he should either like get a dunk or a layup or if the double comes, then it's a, you know, a 45% chance that dude's going to make a three you know, that he passes to. So um, Milwaukee is, is, is scary. They're a problem. Um, but this was a great, this was a great win for Charlotte and um, man, two big buckets in crutch time by yep. uh, Tony Parker too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I know that you, you know, like you said, if it would have gone up by 30, maybe you would sit them. Uh, but they, like you said, they, they, they chipped away at the lead and mm-hmm. it started to make me nervous because anytime it's a close game with the Hornets, uh, yeah. th- those feelings come back as a fan and those mm-hmm. stats come up with those, <laughs> you know, last possession games, uh, Charlotte yeah. doesn't fare too well, but, uh, it's crazy to see like, you know, when, when Kimba's not having a good game, which I don't feel like he had a good game against Milwaukee, I know you can look at the uh, the 21 points, but the fact that he didn't shoot too efficiently from the floor, I don't consider that a good game for, for Kimba. You've got to turn to someone else, and we've never really had that. You know, Lamb is someone that, you know, is one of the few players on this team, if not the only player on this team, that can create a shot for himself to get a bucket. But Tony Parker just seems to step up when it, when it matters, and he's done this a couple times this year, uh, but especially uh, in this game in the fourth quarter where he had six points, um, mm-hmm. all of them coming in the final five minutes. Uh, I do think, you know, you're probably the uh, the biggest hater of this, but he is very reliant on the mid-range pull-up. And yeah, if, loves if, it. If, that's, if that's clicking, then clearly he's becoming more effective, and that's where he's going to get a lot of his points other than maybe his floaters and his inside game, but... If he's if his mid range game is clicking, uh, I feel like he's going to be a more effective player, and that's what happened late in the game. Uh, Kimba turned to Parker. Parker made a couple clutch shots, uh, and the Hornets on a back to back beat the Bucks one ten one oh seven. Very surprising. Oh, and also last thing before we transition, MKG returned. Um, had a very he good game. Huge. He was huge. Yeah. Uh, best plus his... minus at plus eighteen, which I know is not the best stat. And I looked it up. Again, the matchups, you know, you always say there's a lot of noise with that. You don't really know exactly how they calculate all that stuff, and I'm not sure how they do it either. But players matched up or that were matched up against him um, were 0 for 8, uh, and MKG kind of shut those players down. Uh, He doesn't – it's funny. You would think that he would be matched up against Giannis a lot, but that's not where the majority of his come. I I think it becomes against uh, Middleton, I believe, if you were to look at the percentages. But he still does at times guard Giannis. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with either him or Marvin guarding Giannis. And like I said, guard him straight up. Even if you post him up, uh, don't help off. Just let him get his and uh, don't let the other shooters get hot. Because the other shooters get hot, then um, everything gets easier for Giannis as well. So let's let's transition to the uh, the win. Just, Go just, ahead. Just, just one thing real quickly too, which was Milwaukee took 46 threes in this game. Hornets did get a little lucky too because the, the Bucks 27 of those 46 threes were wide open three-point attempts they went just 10 to 27 on those 37 percent but literally 30 percent of their field goal attempts in this game were wide open threes and i mean 37 percent like that's okay not great um for the season the hornets are allowing 17.2 wide open three-point attempts per game so the bucks got literally 10 more than that uh which is is uh is pretty crazy but we'll just like to throw out too like the Michael uh, Michael Kid Gilbert came in, and his just his energy, his hustle, he changed the vibe of the game like just like that, like just in an instant. 
And he's done that the entire season. Just once again, um, look, I tend to sort of think sometimes that grit, hustle, blah, blah, blah. Like we, we like to glorify and overrate that. Maybe not on this podcast, but just sort of like American sports, sports media in general. But with him, like it's no BS. Like the dude plays hard as hell. And I think it's infectious. And um, you just you can't. I think there were a couple of those games that he missed where if he had played, it just it just you just they're not going to get if he plays in that Atlanta game last Sunday, the Hornets just don't get suckered like that. Like he comes in off the bench and if things are going bad midway through the first quarter or late in the first quarter, like that dude comes in and just the just the tone of the game shifts. And um, he just I, I want to go out of the way and praise him because yeah. he's done that literally every night this season. And it's cool as hell to watch. To me, he's been the second best player this season, just in terms of his mm-hmm. impact on on this Hornets team. And mm-hmm. and I think you might have mentioned this, but like when he comes out on the court, it's it's very infectious. Uh, yeah. the way that he plays when he when he steps up his game, others around him feel like they have to as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he returned against this Bucks game and also played against the Hawks on Wednesday. The Hornets pick up some revenge in a 108-94 victory over the Hawks on Wednesday. After losing to them on Sunday, Charlotte got 22 points from Lamb, which seems to be uh, he's he's on a hot streak. I feel like he feel like he's the past yeah. five games he's been doing very well. Uh, yeah. 19 from Cody Zeller. 19 from Cody Zeller. Who knew he had that in him? Um, yeah. And then it had another spark off the bench from Kaminsky in the first half. Um, the Hornets outscore the Hawks from the free throw line 28 to 19 and absolutely dominate in the paint, tallying 62 points in the paint, which is crazy. But uh, mm-hmm. this game started off a little sloppy, a little crummy, like, like you would say. Um, Cody, for example, just kind of watching this game, as a whole, he had a great game. But if you were to look at his first quarter performance and the Hornets as a whole, I thought they were sloppy. Uh, there was four turnovers. He had two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of texted you this. I feel like he struggles sometimes to make passes off the bounce. He doesn't ever look for a shot. or I mean, he does occasionally, but not as often as you would like him to. So it seems like he's dribbling side to side a lot with those mm-hmm. DHOs and things like that. He's got to do a better job of grabbing that ball off the bounce and making that firm pass across uh, the mm-hmm. court. Uh, like I said, especially if opponents aren't respecting his shot. And I, I feel like a couple times this game, it just seems like he had some lazy, sloppy passes. There's one pass I feel like it just kind of slipped out of his hands. It was mm-hmm. just, it was so weak, yeah. so weak. Um, yeah. But, you know, after the first quarter, not just him, but all the other players stepped up. Uh, it wasn't the most exciting game. The offense wasn't the greatest. Uh, but we played a whole lot better in quarters two, three, and four. And like I said, points in the paint. There was only 10 points in the paint. You know, 10's, 10's all right. I mean, it's not the best. It's all right uh, in the first quarter. But there were 52 points in the paint in quarters two, three, and four. Um, that That's an amazing stat to me, how easy it was for the Hornets to get in uh, inside mm-hmm. the paint. They weren't the most efficient, but they got there a lot. Yeah, they 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 took a ton of shots inside the paint last night, and I'll, I'll pull these up as soon as I get a chance to. Because, but as I said, in the first two games, Atlanta had 71 field goal attempts at the rim, and that was way down, way down last night uh, against the Hornets. Um, you brought up Jeremy Lamb. Let's just give him a quick shout here. Uh, last dozen games for Jeremy Lamb, usage rate of tw- at least 20 percent in 75 percent of those games. Averaging 18 points per game on 48, 39, 90 slash shooting, 6.3 rebounds, 2.1 assists, 
in that same stretch, Jeremy Lamb, 44% on catch-and-shoot threes. Um, 24% of his field goal attempts have been three-pointers uh, after a touch time of two or fewer seconds. So playing quick, you know, getting up shots from the, this, is what we, this is what you want from a, from a second-side guy like Jay Lamb. Um, 39, and he's shot 46% on those quick threes. Uh, 39% of his field goal attempts have been two-pointers outside the restricted area. So that's, I mean, that's sort of like vintage Lamb, you know. I mean, he's done an okay job getting to the rim, but he's still – he still loves his floaters. He still loves his mid-range game, but shooting 47% on those. Like, that shot's okay if you're going to hit between 45 and 50%. I mean, obviously over 50, that's 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 great too. But, um, I mean, Jeremy Lamb's been been hot recently. Um, I'm trying to think if there were anything, anything else I wanted to sort of like pull up about this game that I thought was pretty impressive. Just like the way, again, the bench did a phenomenal job for Charlotte. Uh, the Hornets came out, man, they look sluggish, like a lot of standing around offensively. Kem- Kemba goes oh, one of seven shooting in the first quarter. Uh, they're minus eight with Marvin Williams on the court. Nick Batum in seven minutes, he takes uh, no field goal attempts. Marvin 0 for 1 in the first quarter. Like you said, Zeller, those two turnovers, he was only one for three shooting. Um, and then, man, the second unit came in, Malik Monk, Frank Kaminsky, Miles Bridges, and I thought they they were just like a shot in the arm for the Hornets and something that they badly needed. They they added a little life, a little verve uh, to the offense. And I mean, it, it still took the Hornets a while to put. It wasn't really until um, you know later you know later in the game that they sort of put Atlanta away. But it really started the last few minutes of the first quarter with those dudes on the court. Yep, yep, yep. And I think Kaminsky had a nice little run there at the end of the first quarter into the second quarter. All yeah. of his eight points came in the first half. Um, you know, in Kaminsky fashion, I feel like he has these ups and downs, ebbs and flows throughout the season, but he just had this little totally. flash, just little flash here in the uh, early second quarter where he did a good job of uh, scoring from behind the arc. And really in the second half, he was really not much of a factor, but Cody Zeller's performance, like you said, 12 of his 19 points, he didn't miss a single shot in the second quarter, five mm-hmm. for five. Um, finished the game with 19 points, but again, like I said, 12 points of those came in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those actions came off those fake DHOs. It's almost yep. like they were surprised that it's they helped off of him to kind of focus on whoever he was working the DHO with. And then he was just surprised that there was this open lane and he was able to get all the way to the uh, to the basket with that side-to-side mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple things I thought were a little bit kind of uh, the only glaring negative that I saw, uh, Hawks offensive rebounds. Uh, they had... 16 offensive rebounds, which is just mm-hmm. way too many, way too many. I think that was the most glaring negative. But again, they also turned the ball over a lot. So it's almost like that made up for the fact these extra possessions that they got with the offensive rebounds, they kind of mm-hmm. turned the ball over. So it kind of evened out in that sense. And I, I don't know yeah. exactly what maybe caused those offensive rebounds. I feel like that might be somewhat of an issue this year. If we do switch more often, is that something that you can expect, Brian? Like if you switch more often, maybe there might be an opportunity for bigger guys to maybe grab more offensive rebounds, or is it just? Yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I just think for for this team, they don't have. They just don't have a lot of good re like a lot of great re. There's no. I mean, say what you want about Dwight, but you know, you could at least you know that that guy's a you know maybe at the detriment of his own team sometime a season ago, but um. We saw in the preseason, we were like, this team's probably going to struggle defensively or on the glass because they don't have a, they don't have a dude that's a magnet for rebounds. It's got to be a by committee thing. 
I mean, you know, sometimes you need Marvin like he did in Atlanta the other day to grab 13 rebounds, you know. Um, and obviously when MKG comes in, he helps and, and Bridges. Those guys try on the glass and stuff. But there's just – I just think that's going to be an issue for them all season. And, and yeah, I think there are I – think I think sometimes it can almost cut both ways because it's like, you know, you might be playing a team that switches a lot. And, like, you, there may be cross matchups. So, like, the, you know – a player X from the Hawks will switch on to Kemba, like a big dude. And then when the ball, you know, when the ball goes down the other way in transition or whatever, Kemba's matched up with John Collins, you know, and like all of a sudden, you know, sometimes I think, and I mean, that's something you've seen Giannis take advantage of this season is when Giannis gets those cross matches, he'll go right to the block and they'll like, like, like the Clippers used to do with Blake Griffin and they'll just try to get it to him on the, on the head and create an advantage, whatever. Um, would like to get this in there real quickly to the Hornets. And this is according to cleaning glass. So this is without the last two minutes of garbage time from last night. The Hornets go 24 of 42 at the rim. Percentage wise, it's not great, about 57%. But the 42 shots, that's an avalanche. I mean, it's 54% of the shots the Hornets took last night. It's a great number for a team like Charlotte that really doesn't get to the rim at like an exceptional rate. Um, the Hawks take just 28 shots at the rim, which is a significant drop. First two games against the against the Hornets, they average over 35 per game at the rim. They only make 13 of those shots, so just 46%. So just like the Hornets' rim defense was outstanding last night, uh, you know, against the against the team that I know the Hawks aren't. They don't have a surplus of of uh, like talent, ready-made talent at the at the at the outset, but like. They're targeting the rim, and Charlotte did a good job last night, um, making you know making that less available to them. And uh, the there was one other thing I was going to say here about this. Um, that's, I've, I've lost it here. So yeah, anyways, I just thought Charlotte. The other thing was on those fa- on those DHOs, you know, the fake ones. Cody got a dunk out of it. Miles Bridges got a shot at the rim off of it too. Um, I thought that was a nice adjustment as Charlotte, you know, they're working, they're working against the young aggressive defense that's switching a lot. That fake DHO is a perfect way to counter some of that. It's like slipping a screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. You can catch, you can catch teams that aren't ready for it um, and aren't, you know, rotating and switching on a string. And so I thought that was, they got a couple good looks at the rim off that kind of action. I was just thinking of this as you were talking about, you know, my my question to you as to why maybe the offensive rebounds were coming. Maybe the cause for that was switching. But kind of looking back on that game, like you said, they didn't take a lot of shots at the rim. And, you know, the Hawks are more than happy to shoot a lot of threes. So with long shots also come long rebounds. So maybe that might have played a factor as well. Um, Let's transition to something, kind of wrap up this episode. Talk about Bradley Beal. I know that Spencer Percy, our third co-host, had a tweet not too long ago about um, Charlotte being aggressive in these discussions, where it's you know the the um, I'm sorry not the Warriors, the Wizards are open to kind of having this like fire sale. Okay, you can have Beal, you can have Wall, you can have Otto Porter. What do you think if you were to put a percentage on it with Charlotte specifically? Hmm. Thoughts on the likelihood that just a percentage, quick rapid fire that anything gets done between the Hornets and the Wizards? What, low, uh, yeah. un, you know, unfortunately. I, I would say, you know, 5%, 10% max. Yep. It, just, it, it, seems un, it seems unlikely. 
it might even be hard to trade Brad Beal out of there, even if you had a you know a, a you know a treasure chest of assets to offer them in return. He's a really good player entering the prime of his career, and he's under his contract for two more seasons after this one at a rate that's not insane. Like basically being paid the same amount that Nick Batum is, literally almost through the exact same number of years too. And they're just um, as good, right? They're just as good. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's exactly how that works. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so no, that would be I, I think low. Um, yeah. I mean, I I you know clearly in you know Spencer's Spencer's source was was credible and um, and we saw it corroborated elsewhere too. Like those those two franchises have clearly engaged in some form of talks, whether they were just sort of like exploratory or not. So that means there's at least a non-zero chance, right? Right. You know, if we're at least at that level. But it, it just still seems it, it just still seems really unlikely. Um, it's tough to think of a great package the yeah. Hornets offer in terms of a draft pick that might not be really that good this year, you know, because the the team is gunning for a playoff spot. They're not, probably not going to be in the lottery, especially if they had Bradley Beal. Right, especially if you get the Beal. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And you know, look, I, I I'm not sure what the the league wide perception is of Malik Monk. Certainly not without talent, but. You know, been a little up and down, not a great defender, streaky shooter. You know, how does he even fit inside the lot? You know, when, once you have Malik Monk, then what? You know, <laughs> like what, 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 you know, what do you have, especially if he's around um, a locker room that's a little toxic at the moment, too? Um, and yeah, I mean, just the salary to match, you know, if, if, if it were Marvin or if, if it were Nick Batum, there's just so much long term money with Nick. It just, I just can't imagine a scenario that Washington, unless they are just so desperate to move Beal, which I don't know why you would because he's so good. Um, and and they really – there were no other – you know, the Lakers said, you know, hell, we're not going to trade for this guy because we want to make sure we have cap space to sign – try to sign Durant this summer or if there were any other – any of these other players that may be in the running for Beal sort of exited the race and – Washington was just desperate to get something, maybe, but it, man, I yeah, I think, I, I think ten percent at at the absolute most. I think probably closer to like five percent, though. You know, right? Like it, just, it just doesn't. I just don't know why Washington would make that move outside of just like they're they're tired of complacency and just they're sort of panicking. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they maybe made those players available, like you said, maybe in a panic move. But you know, sitting back thinking on it, what's the advantage in trading Beal uh, for someone like Batum, who has the same length on the contract, so you're not getting yeah. off any any money. years or money there. And I feel like if that's the way they wanted to go, they're trying to get young talent or they're trying to get off money and acquire draft picks. And so mm. the funny, the initial package that I had, well, first off, yeah, 5% is what five to 10% is what exactly what I wrote down in my notes here. That's exactly kind of how I feel it's going to be. It's, it's very low. Um, I think their asking price will be steep for Beal compared to maybe wall or Otto Porter. Um, and also I don't, I don't think the Hornets are going to do anything rash, especially, maybe how they're playing recently, I feel like maybe there's some promise behind that. But the initial package that I had, I guess I just wanted to make it the cleanest trade ever, was with yeah. match it with Batum and then throw in a couple draft picks and add Monk, thinking that yeah. Monk would be enticing and the draft picks would be enticing. But if they're trading Beal, they probably want to get off some long-term money and they don't want Batum. So I, I think that's like a, you know, a double-edged yeah. sword there. So it's tough seeing them do that kind of trade. But then if you give them expirings like Marvin Williams and Jeremy Lamb, you know, Marvin Williams got two more years, but Jeremy yeah. Lamb 
And then I think the Hornets maybe would only be willing to give up one first-round pick. So if they're trying to get young talent, they're not going to get that with Marvin Williams or Jeremy Lamb, who might not be with the team next year. So uh, it's a a very tough proposition because I don't know if the Hornets have the best package that they can offer to uh, to the Wizards here. and. Um, I'm not really sure exactly what the Wizards want, but I would think young talent and get off some money yeah. because their their situation in the salary is is not too hot. I don't even know like what Washington's trying to do at the moment, honestly. Seriously, like, are they trying to like rush back into the playoffs? Are they trying to trade these guys? Like, they're they're not out of the playoff race by any stretch. No. Like, in the in the Eastern Conference, like, like they are they're right there, and Lord knows they have plenty of talent. Yeah, they're at they're eight and thirteen. They're, they're like a game or two out of eighth place behind freaking Orlando. Like, yeah, I'm pretty sure if you wanted to, you could catch them. Um, I think if any of those guys get – any of their big three get moved this year, uh, you know, Porter sort of makes the most sense. Because um, I could even – look, the other thing too is you can't trade John Wall this year. His trade kicker is way too big. Like it would be a basically an extra $20 million attached on to, to John Wall. So like that's not happening this year. Um, and then starting next year, his salary bumps up to like, I think 37 million. So like all of a sudden, like there are all kind of challenges there too. Um, if they want to, if they want to like burn it down and try to like build around Brad Beal, like it's just going to be hard to move those other two guys, but I can certainly see the appeal in, 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 in wanting to do that. But as far as like, again, I don't know if they're trying to blow it up this season. I, I don't know if they're trying to, 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 to trade one of these guys and get picks and you know, whatever, like it. I'm not sure what even their end game is. I just know they're a mess right now. Um, that said, like again, you don't want to like let your mind think about this too much because it, it, the the reality of it is so unlikely it's going to happen. But Kemba and Brad Beal would be an amazing backcourt together. Like those guys fit. I mean, Beal fits with anybody because like you know he's a two guard that can bang threes off the catch and run pick and roll and blah blah blah. But like he and Kemba would be, I mean, that's I don't know if it fits like a glove, but it's it's close, you know. Um, but it just doesn't seem, you know, and, and yeah, and I mean, like, shoot, having those two guys to close out a game, I mean, it, it would be it would be amazing for for the Hornets. But I, I just can't, it, especially with Cody out there flying around setting screens for both those dudes. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's in the cards, unfortunately, for the Hornets. Yeah, as Hornets fans, we probably shouldn't get our hopes up for that that trade. I know that uh, it's very enticing to think about Beal on this team. And, and yeah. when I think back to that draft, I know the MKGs had a great season this season. I was always a, a bigger opponent, proponent of Bradley Beal, but that might, be my, that might, yeah, that might be my ties to the Gators. Yeah. But uh, I always thought he was a better pick. So can anyway, I, go ahead. Last thought. Before, but yeah, real quickly here. just kinda, We should have done this at the start, but I just want to run this down real quickly. Hornets... Fifth in the NBA in offensive efficiency, over 113 points for 100 possessions. They're actually number 10 in defense, if you can actually believe that. They're tied with Miami. Uh, 107.9 points for 100 possessions. Net rating of plus 5.4. That's sixth in the NBA. Uh, a record of only 11-10, and 10, but with a point differential of a 14-win team. So in terms of expected win differential, they actually have the worst in the NBA of minus three. They're currently tied with Boston for six in the uh, the Eastern Conference. And one last note, too. The starting five of Kemba Walker, Nick Batum, Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lamb, Cody Zeller, 284 minutes for that lineup this season. That's most in the NBA by almost 30 minutes. Uh, 112 points for 100, 55% effective shooting, 
106 points for 100 possessions on defense, a net of plus six. Pretty good altogether uh, work from, like, lots of work. They've been healthy. They've been playing pretty well, uh, the starting five, that is, this year. Very good. Very good stuff. I think that, you know, it's a common theme uh, this season in terms of, uh, you know, clutch clutch offense and, and kind of getting things done late. You know, there we're, we're like, like Brian said, we're last – when it comes to the win-loss differential, um, we should be better than we are based off of our our net rating, uh, but we're not. Uh, by the time you're listening to this episode, uh, it's going to be Friday, so we play Utah tonight. Uh, Brian made a, a point of this, how teams shoot a lot of wide-open shots. Well, the Utah Jazz get up a lot of wide-open shots. <laughs> Um, but they, they have not, they, they making them right now, <laughs> but they're not making them, but they're yeah. not making them. So, uh, maybe we can be in for another game where we get a little bit lucky. Uh, that's clearly why they traded for Kyle Corver to kind of improve their shooting a little bit. Uh, and their defense has been, uh, worse than they probably expected it. Gobert Wait. hasn't, hasn't been the best. Um, I think they're like 13th maybe, uh, in the NBA, but, um, oh, weird. Thanks again, uh, for tuning into another episode. Uh, we really do appreciate you all and you guys, It definitely keeps us going. Uh, We do have some interesting updates on the horizon, but we will hold off on that for another time. Uh, Please check our Twitter handle, at BuzzBeatPod, as we are doing a giveaway for the 30th anniversary team t-shirt. I received this uh, t-shirt against the 76ers, where Kimba dropped 60. The details will be in the tweet, but basically the gist of it is, when we put out the tweet tomorrow for episode 80, all you have to do is reply with a screenshot of you listening to the episode at any point uh, on your device and just reply and you'll be entered into the giveaway. So it's a pretty cool shirt. It has the uh, 30 anniversary team uh, and there's 10 players on there. Gerald Wallace from the Bobcats, the only Bobcat uh, on the t-shirt. So it looks a little bit out of place, but still a cool t-shirt nonetheless. Uh, until next time, this was episode 80. That's Brian. I am Richie. Go Hornets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.